Hello, this is Aaron Bounds, pastor of the Anchor Church located in Zanesville, Ohio. I want to say thanks for tuning in today. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you to live the life God called you to live. Praise the Lord, everybody. If we could all stand. Who's glad to be here today? I know I am. Yeah, that's all right. So we're, in, we're entering into a season of thanksgiving and things to be thankful for. And I'm reminded of the scripture in Psalms 100 where it says, Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. So I ask that before we go into a time of first word and service that we would all be thankful for what we are and enter into his gates with praise, God. Lord, I thank you for everything you've given us. Lord, I thank you for every mountain that we've climbed, every valley we went through. I thank you, Lord, for feet on my, for shoes on my feet, God. I thank you, God, for a church to go to. Oh, God, I'll praise you, Lord, anywhere, God. Lord, when the valley seems deep, Lord, that we'll praise you. Lord, God, that you'd be there with us all, Jesus. I just thank you for today. Welcome, Pastor, as he comes to first word. Amen. Good morning, everybody. Oh, clap your hands and praise the Lord this morning. For the Lord is good. How many know the Lord is good? Look at your neighbor and say, God is good. Amen, amen. And we all believe that today. That's why we are here. We've come to celebrate the Lord. And uh, by celebrating the Lord, we want to grow individually. I want God to look down at me and see that my desire is to be better. Be better than I was. And to continue to be better than I've been. And amen. With that in mind, we are going to, you may be seated. I'm going to teach you today um, about being committed, committed to grow. Everybody say committed to grow. Could you imagine, could you imagine having an 18-year-old that still looked like they were when they were one? If that was possible, if that was an issue, you'd realize there was something major wrong within them. The scripture teaches us and the word of the Lord tells us that when I was a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. And I think that we're living in a generation that does not want to get older. We, we, we. We want to stay young, this youthful lust. The Bible says to flee youthful lust, but we live in a generation that does not want to age. I mean, no, it's true. And Hollywood has certainly put that into this. But when you come to the kingdom of God, you've got to have a desire to grow in the Lord, to mature. The word, the word grow means to increase in size or maturity. And I want us to open our Bibles today to the book of Isaiah, the book of Isaiah chapter 9. And last week I will, uh, I taught about family, different family dynamics. I will pick up there in just a moment. But in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6 it says, are you ready? For unto us a child is born... Unto us a son is what? Given. Amen. How many know this is the prophecy of Christ? Praise the name of the Lord. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, 
the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. This verse is saying that Christ is wonderful. Counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Would the church say amen? amen. Praise God. And you, when you look at verse 7, it says, Of the increase of His government and peace, there shall be no end. When you, and it says, Upon the throne of David, upon His kingdom, to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Verse 7 says, of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. That means with God, there will always be an increase. We're not supposed to decrease. With God, we should increase on every area of our life. I don't want God to look down at me, been in church for 20 years, been in church for 10 years, been in church for 5 years, and see me in the same state of spiritual maturity that I was when I came to the Lord. I want him to see me with an increase of wisdom and a knowledge. The scripture tells us to grow in grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. How many want to grow? Praise God. I want to grow. I want to, I want to be spiritually mature. When you were born again, when you were born again of the water, the Bible talks about being born of water and the spirit, this new birth, when you, when you are born again, you are a new babe. In, 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 in the scripture it says, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that they may what? Everybody say, grow thereby. When you come to the Lord, you don't have all the knowledge. It's amazing. I get to teach Bible studies to people in 2023. They do not know who Samson and Delilah are. They don't know about knowing the ark. They've never heard of the book of Genesis. It's the truth. It's hard to believe in America that people do not know this. And it's amazing to break down those Bible stories the way you would with a child to a person that is an adult because they've never heard of it. And you get to teach them and watch those people be so hungry for God that next thing you know, they can teach the scripture. That is the goal. It's not for you just to hear the word, but to be a doer of the word and to become a teacher of the word. It is not the will of God just to be a hearer for the next 20, 30, 40 years, but to become a teacher of the word of God. True discipleship, a true disciple is someone that is a student that teaches. Everybody say, a disciple is a student that teaches. And so we need to be committed to growing, growing altogether. You're going to hear me talk about this even in the 11 o'clock service about being committed to grow. But I have learned over the years that growth is not easy. Growing is challenging. When I was eight years old and my bone structures, it seemingly at that time, began to change and there were some elements of growing and, and uh, my knee would lock up and I'd have to walk as a boy and I'd have to do it, pull my knee around like this for a day or two and times it would lock up. And uh, my mom said, boy, that's just growing pains. How, rem how rem many remember growing pains? It was painful, but you were growing. And somehow it made me feel better that I was getting taller or something. I don't know. But uh, if you're going to grow, there will be pain in your life. And if you're going to grow individually, ma mature-wise, there's going to be pain in your life. I I'll never forget standing in a store and 
and uh, I was a new parent anyhow, and I was in one of those, um, uh, I don't know, it, it was one of the stores in town. And how many of you know when you're walking one of those down a shopping aisle, you can see through the pegboard. You can see the, 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 the profile of people on the other side. You can't see their face, but you can tell that they're over there. I could see a dad and his, his two kids, and one was this tall, one was this tall. One was maybe that tall and the other one this tall. And I heard him. He said something like this. He said, when your little brother does it, it's cute. But when you do it, it gets on my nerves. Any parents relate with that? You know what he was saying was, when you were a little child, it was all right because it was expected. But when you're this tall, you ought to be beyond that. And can I say to you today, uh, where are you at on this scale? Where are you at on this growth track in your life? Are, are you still down here that it's cute the things that you're saying spiritually because you are ignorant of, of where you can be and it's okay. It's, it's amazing over the years you see people grow and the things they say. And my kids would say things that weren't right, but it was cute when they were two and three. But when they're 15, still saying it. And, and uh, it, it means somewhere there's not growth in their life. How I many know as parents, we got to look at our children and say, you know, that's, that's not how we say that. that that's, that's not how you, how, how you do that. And so there are, there are elements in their life. I mean, if you still have a pacifier and you're 10 years old, that's bad parenting. Man, we loved it when our kids had pacifiers when they were little. But they, I mean, if Sawyer had to pull the pacifier out of his mouth today to lead prayer. Sorry, Sawyer. You would say, I, I don't know if pastor should be following him. But, but um, by, by the way, he never did take a pacifier. And, uh, but Jillian sure did. Jillian had them, and uh, uh, it was hard to break. How many know it's those moments when they're a kid? How many of your children have pacifiers? And, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's amazing. And, and we had a hard time breaking it. But, but Sister Tackett, she was the master of breaking things when it comes to the will of the children. And uh, she... She, uh, she, she took Jillian a couple of days, was there with her, and Jillian come back, and, and uh, there was no pacifier. But she went upstairs, and she found five. She come down. She had pacifiers in each hand. She had two or three in her mouth. And uh, it, she was the happiest I had seen her in weeks. And uh, it was so funny. She had stashed him in the back of her tricycle or under a pillow. I don't, uh, under one of her toy chests somewhere, I don't know, but but she was so happy to find that. But Jillian, if you're 15 with a pacifier, there's something wrong. And I will say to you, in your marriage, there are things that you have indifferences about when you get married as man and woman, that, that when you get married, there are some indifferences you have. But if, if, if you've been married for, for 30 years with the same indifferences, guess what? You're married but you are still at the same place. You have to be committed to grow. There was a, somebody working here on our sprinkler system one time, and they were getting ready to make a terrible mistake, and I was overseeing that, and they came in, and there was a big hole coming down through the new drywall we had done. And I said, what are you, what are you doing? And uh, he said, well, you know, you can't do it this way and that way, and I'm sorry, but there's going to be an exposed pipe right here in the middle of the in the middle of the bathroom, I said, uh, uh, nope, it's not going to work that way. And uh, he said, well, I've been doing this for 30 years. I wanted to say, well, you did it wrong the first year, and you repeated it for the last 29. 
I was that close, but I thought, I'm the pastor. So you know what I did? I called, the super, I called the owner of the company. I said, don't send them back here. Can't work with them. And I did. I said, somebody, send somebody else to get it. And we got it done, and you don't see that exposed pipe there because it could be done. They just didn't want to do it. And what I've learned over the years is some people are committed to remain the same even if it's wrong because that's just who they are. When you are committed to growing as a couple, as a marriage, as a family, you've got to realize that for me to grow, I have to change. You cannot grow without change. Aren't you glad you don't look the way you did when you were five? Have to stand up on a ladder to kiss your wife. It'd be, be bad news. And, uh, but you grew, but with that came change. You don't appear the way you used to appear. You don't see the way you used to see. You don't even think the way you used to think. Why? Because with growth came change. But before you can change, it's a principle. You cannot change until there is conflict. So guess what, ladies and gentlemen? All of those arguments you've had over the years in your relationship were actually a blessing. Conflict is something that should not be avoided. If you will, if you will look in on, on, your, on your handout that you have on page, page 13, Talk about conflict resolution. Everybody say conflict. Cindy and I, when we got married, people come up and said, hey, it's going to be World War III. And uh, they said, it. They said, listen, your first year of marriage is going to be crazy. Well, we didn't have that. Six months into it, what you have? Are you, are you fighting? I mean, I'm not saying we didn't have any disagreements, but there was no war like everybody talks about. After a year of marriage, you guys have that war yet? No? Well, wait till you have kids. I'm telling you, it was like people wanted us to fight so they'd feel better about their relationship. And uh, it doesn't have to be a war. It does there. There has to be indifference. Uh, conflict resolution at the top. This says make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you so you must forgive others, Colossians 3 and 13. How many know that's true? Ten steps for resolving conflict. I'm, I'm, I'm going to bring a portion of this that we'll get back to it. All couples have differences and disagreements. Studies show the amount of disagreements are not related to marital happiness as much as how they are handled. Happy couples. Everybody say happy. Might as well say happy, happy, happy. <laughs> happy couples do not avoid disagreements they resolve them while remaining respectful of each other thereby strengthening their relationship when you are growing as a couple you're going to find moments how you love each other how you uh, how you plan where you spend uh, your leisure or your leisure activities where you want to spend holidays that can be a major one as I talked about last week and how you perceive closeness versus how they perceive closeness and if you grew up in a house where you were celebrated every birthday you're going to have expectations to be celebrated very often but if you grew up that no one ever celebrated you and you're married to somebody that was always celebrated there's going to be expectations that are not going to be met how many know it's true and so Last week, and uh, I, I hit on it for a moment, and I'm going to get back to that today. If you would turn to page 37, 
if you look at page 37 here, you're going to see the couple and family maps. Couple and family maps. And so, uh, and so what it is, is, is if you look at the top, it talks about disconnected, and then it talks about overly connected. Y'all remember my mother-in-law joke last week? That was overly connected. And uh, when you get married, uh, she goes with you. Because they're never apart. They're always together. You can't have an event without them because you're so close. You're always together all the time. And that is out of balance. How I many know that's true? I don't know if it worked out if every date I went on, my mother-in-law was sitting across the table from us. Or father-in-law. Because you can be overly connected to where there's never any, any separation. But disconnected is people don't care. Whatever you want to, you can come, go as you want, but who cares? And uh, um, and there is in that moment, there's just no closeness. I mean, you don't you don't know if you're ever, even as an adult or maybe as a child, you might get celebrated on your birthday. You might not. Uh, they might come over for the holiday holidays and might not. You might hear from them as an adult on their birthday, but you might not. And um, a, a healthy balance of closeness. How many know you can be out of balance both ways? Yeah, I mean you. You get married to somebody that's overly connected and you are going to have no time for anybody in your world because they're going to expect to be with you as a spouse at all times. That is overly connected. You can't go see your buddy. You can't go see your friends. You can't, uh, you can't do anything without them, her or him. Why? Because we have to be together. We're married. We should become one flesh. We're inseparable. And if you would say something like, you know, I, I love you. I love spending time with you, but I like to go see my buddy. I like to go hang out with my friends. And they say, you don't love me? I'm only going to be gone for three hours. And uh, an overly connected view versus a balanced view that we, I love it when we're together, but it's okay for you to have your time with your family, your friends. I love us being together, but it's okay, okay to do some things different and separate. I mean, that's true. And uh, discon uh, disconnected would be uh, you cohabitate. Uh, there might be moments of intimacy, but in reality, you're both living your individual lives, and there's not much connection in, in that relationship. Um, uh, you, you live, you live in, the, in, the, in the same house. You sleep in, you sleep in two different bedrooms. Uh, and uh, you're, you're only together, okay, it's, it's disconnection. And so you have to ask yourself today, where are we? How did I grow up? And where are we as a couple? What was my family like uh, uh, grow, growing up? And apply to this. So you, you can take a moment, if you would, put on there where you think, if you're a couple here today or if you're family, put on there where you think if you're, you are uh, still living in your house and uh, you're single like, like these here up front, you could put it in there where you think you are in closeness. Uh, are you celebrated? Are you overly connected? Are you, are you very connected? you love being with your family? Or are you somewhat connected to where you like being with your family, but you love being more to yourself than you are with those that are family? You could mark that somewhere where you think that is. And so on the graph, when you're looking at this, close, disconnected to overly connected, you can see the light blue areas. The balance is somewhere in the middle. Versus, look at the top where it says, uh, where it says, overly flexible, 
all the way down to what? Everybody say inflexible. Overly flexible, there is no schedule. There is no dinner time. We have no clue who's going to do the laundry. The dishes remain on the counter for a week. Because everybody is waiting on somebody and nobody wants to and nobody wants to talk about who's going to do it until there's this explosion of frustration because now there's no dishes left. There's no clothes to wear. Everybody's hungry. Now they're hangry because we don't know who's cooking. We don't know who's cleaning. And uh, the, the kids have a pile of laundry that big. And instead of, instead of uh, and the adults have a, the same, instead of washing the clothes, they go buy a new one. It's getting real quiet, but it's all right. Because I've been on counseling for a long time. And because they'd rather buy clothes than wash the ones they have. And that, that's, that's overly flexible. Nobody knows the roles. Nobody has a plan. There's no schedule. I mean, it's just in and out. Everybody's doing their own thing. It's, it's, it's somewhat disconnected. And, and it's overly flexible. Inflexible is we have a schedule and uh, there is no room for error there's no room I'm sorry I'm sorry that uh, you know I'm, I'm, I'm sorry that the doctor's report isn't wasn't good but I don't wash clothes so you just have to wash clothes because I'm a man and I'm not washing dishes because these hands were made for grease and not dishwashing liquid I'm sorry, honey, I know, I, I know that you don't feel well, but I'm not changing no baby diapers because that's a woman's job. And, uh, and I'm, sorry that, that, that I'm sorry the way things are, but you're going to have to call your mom to come over and change that diaper because I'm just not doing it because I'm a man. It's quiet. But the truth of the matter is, is that's out of balance. And that might be the way you feel. That might be the way you're raised. But the fact of the matter is, is, is she's, she's sick. She can't do what she needs to do. And as a man, you've got to be able to be flexible enough to change your role and step into a balanced area and say, I'll help you. I'll help get the dishes. I'll, I'll help clean this. I'll, I'm going to help take care of this. Why? Because and, and the role's vice versa, that he's down. He's sick. Well, I'm a lady. I'm not, I'm not doing that. I'm not fixing this. I'm not helping this area because I'm just, you've got to realize in marriage there has to be a balance to where roles can shift at times. I mean, know that change is not easy. How many of you in the building love change? Everybody that raised their hands was, well, I was getting ready to say under 20, but my wife loved, I, I, if I walk in the house at night and uh, I, I have to, listen, I'll hurt myself, stub my toes because my wife loves to turn the furniture around. I never know where anything's going to be when I get in from out of town. And because she does, she does love change and, and decor and things of that nature. But how many, are, how many are traditionalists? You just like things to stay the way they've always been. Now, that's me. And uh, uh, all right, so very few people raise their hand in comparison to everybody. How many have no clue what you are? Would you raise your hand? <laughs> and, so, and so dealing with change is not easy. I'm a traditionalist, so I, I like things to stay the same. I like the way it always been. I, I reflect on on times of the child and how it used to be, and I, I'm a reflector. Anybody like that? You just you just love things the way they are. Somebody call me an old soul. I guess I am. But but change is necessary. Matter of fact, if this church stayed the same, it would never grow. Because you got to grow with the times. Aren't you glad that? How, how many? I, I mean, 
at one time the colors of this church aren't what they are now, and I'm glad about it. There were roses everywhere. How many remember that? And it looked amazing for that day and time, but if we were still living in the bed of roses, I think some of you would be like, Pastor. I mean, every seat was roses, roses on the wall, roses in the carpet, and it was beautiful for its time. It was very classy. It looked like a hotel lobby when you came in, but there's got to be change. I'm going to really hit it right now. Are you ready? Pastor, we can't have a good church unless we sing those old songs. You know every old song was a new song. Carol, you stay out of this. Amen. You've got a generation in here that thinks you cannot have church, good church unless you're singing an old song. I was at a church one time, I promise. I was at a church one time and they, they were singing some of the new songs and uh, it, was, it was a youth, youth deal and some of the leaders got upset because they didn't like the new songs. So you know what they did? They got an accordion and a box guitar and said, we're going to have good church. It was terrible church. It was because they, they had it in their mind it has to be the way it used to be. And the churches don't grow and they blame it on the devil. That's why the devil's mad. He gets blamed for every single thing. He's showing up in the judgment saying, Lord, I've got something I want to say. They all said it was my fault. And Lord, you know it wasn't my fault. They just didn't want to change. Blame church growth on the devil. Blame everything on the devil. Blame the marriage problems on the devil. The fact of the matter is, most things are not the devil's fault. It's that you got to look in the mirror and say, you like being who you are, the way you are, and when you, you know. No matter, no matter. Take me as I am. And you got to become a person that's friendly. you got to be a person that's open. you got to be a person that's willing. Then you got young people in the church that think you can't have good church with an old song. Older people think you can't have good church with, a, with, 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 a, with an old song. They want new songs, somebody else wants old songs. Want to be in my seat? You're not going to please everybody. One pastor realized that people in the church, some thought it was too hot, some thought it was too cold. See what he did? He put the thermostat under his seat. He left one on the wall that was disconnected. The old person come up and turn it up. The young person come later and turn it down. Made them feel great, but nothing ever changed. One pastor also had the monitor here. You know, he, he would turn it to what he thought. And it's that way. You're going to be in church where there's indifference. You're not going to please everybody. How many notes? And, and, from, and from this pulpit, from this place, you have to seek a moderate level. And I think at the end of the day, what does God want us to do as a body? What does God want us to do as a couple? I'm going to tell you what he wants you to do. He wants you to change so you can grow. You're going to come in some church service and say, I don't know that song. Guess what? It'll be a one that you will love in about five weeks from now. When you learn the words, right, Brother Dylan? Yeah. And they're going to be saying, oh, I don't know this song. Brother Dylan's singing another song we don't know. And here it is up on the wall. And why, why do we even have, I'll, Pastor, would you go get the song books out so we can have good church? Yeah. We, I, I just, I just want to, y'all know I love old songs, so I can talk like this. But, but I, I remember somebody writing a song about how churches changed. It said now they put the, the words on the wall. As if it was the Antichrist that was coming. Help us, Lord, because if we're not careful, we become fearful of change. I'm not talking about changing the message. I'm not talking about changing the doctrine. I'm not talking about changing convictions. I'm not talking about changing righteousness. I'm talking about methods have to change. Attitudes have to change. The way you perceive things have to change. How I many know change is essential? 
Look at your neighbor and say, change is necessary. Without change, there's no growth. That's right. We've had to change the way we think. I could take you to points in my life that I got before the Lord, and I said, God, I know before we can grow as a church, I've got to change the way I'm doing things. I've got to change the way I think. I've got to change. And I wrestled with some things with, internally with me because I had to change methodologies. I had to change ideologies. I had to change concepts and precepts that, that the way it worked then to think the way we do now as a multi-campus church. I had to be willing to see people leave on a Wednesday to go somewhere else and not be here to go somewhere else. I had to change the way I think. But when somebody's being saved in Crooksville and Cambridge and Coshocton and Gloucester and Guatemala and Vietnam and we can go down the line with all the campuses that we have, it's growth and we got to celebrate growth and not just the way it's always been. you got to celebrate growth. Celebrate growth. I mean, no, we celebrate growth. Mom, guess what? What? They rolled over today. That's amazing that four and five months. It is. It'd be, be, you know, they were older, but we celebrate growth. They're one year old. Everybody's video camera out, watching them put their face right in the cake. Oh, look at that. But they're putting their face in the cake at 20. We celebrate growth. We celebrate birthdays. We celebrate anniversaries. And I want to say to everybody in this room, an anniversary in your marriage should never be viewed as just another day. I want to say to you with your children, you with one another, a birthday should never be viewed. Well, it's just another day. You know, you're going to be grouchy if you think it's just another day. Look at your neighbor and say, you need celebrated. I'm not telling you you have to have a party for every 2nd, 3rd, 4th, 15th, 13th, 20th, 23rd, 31. I'm not saying, but I'm saying that there should be something, an acknowledgement that I'm still so glad you're still here. How many have people in your life that you wish were still here? Six years, we have buried a lot of people, a lot of people in this church in six years. There's so many. I can't name them all. There's been so many. I feel like I was preaching a, a funeral once or twice a month for six years. There's been a lot of people gone. Sister Hodge just passed away. I wish she was still here being used in the gifts of the Spirit and here, but they're gone. But I'm going to tell you, when you value somebody, you need to celebrate their growth. You know what's easier to do? To celebrate their, their wrong. It's easy. Somebody you love, you get used to. The only thing you can pick out is, is, is their errors and what they haven't done and what they're not doing. If you criticize more than you praise, what you're going to do is cause a person to not feel that they can grow. You should praise someone much more than you criticize them. Saying things, I celebrate you, I thank you. One of the things that Eve did right in the garden when the serpent showed up, she said this, all the trees of the field we're allowed to have. You know what you need in your spirit? You need, to, you need to acknowledge everything that you do have. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for marrying me. Thank you for being faithful. Thank you for being here. Instead of, you didn't pick up your laundry again. You didn't do this. You didn't do that. You, are, are, you, are you with me? How many know it's true? Are there any normal people in the building? We need honored. Everybody say six times. I don't know where the study came from, but I think it's practical and real. Praise six times versus one criticism. Praise before criticism. There are times with my own children, and how many know children are growing? So we celebrate change and we celebrate growth, but it's easy to look at your children and tell them what they haven't done instead of taking time to tell them what they have done.
Let me know God wants us to praise him. Celebrate praise. And uh, let's, look, let's go back here for a minute. Here's, here's where you're going to find indifferences. Is when an overly connected person marries a disconnected person. Or a person that's very flexible in their schedule. Versus a person that grew up with military time. No tolerance, no lateness, never an exception to the rule, never inflexible versus overly flexible. There's going to be arguments and fights because the expectation is too. So here's what you do. Somewhere where you feel that your family is, why don't you take a moment and mark that, and you're with your, cup, with your, with your spouse, uh, you can mark this. Where do you think you are as a couple? Are you very connected? Are you connected? Um... And are you flexible or very flexible or somewhat flexible? And where those match, where, where those match here, somewhere here, where if you're very connected and you're, you're flexible, you'd end up somewhere right in here. Where are you as a family? Where is a couple? And I would ask you this, where do you want to be? Maybe you're out of balance. Most people probably aren't out of balance, but maybe some. But somewhere you land in there, and how many's ever had issues with what I'm talking about? Four people. And so when you are having these moments and these discussions, and some of the arguments come in, she wants seven kids and he wants one. Or he wants six and, and she wanted two. And uh, they come from a big family and they don't want kids at all. <laughs> Maybe not the case, but they come in and somewhere they, they have to have these conversations. How many know it's true? And they start talking about how many kids do you want and when do you want kids. If, if, she, if he wants to wait five years and she, she, she wants to have children six months, start having children, uh, uh, planning for children six months after they get married, there's going to be a conflict. And why? When? How? How do you figure that out? I'm going to talk to you about uh, here today is that that... Conflict brings emotion. And y'all have heard me teach about emotions. And uh, I'm going to stop here and say that we are living in a generation that doesn't know how to embrace emotions. So you know what they're doing with all their emotions in 2023? They're medicating. They're medicating so they can't feel. And the Bible says in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 4, y'all with me today? I know this is a little different than what I normally do. But I, I do want to teach you about real life. Um, but the Bible says, For we have a high priest who has passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Therefore, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. It's hard to touch God if you can't feel. God gave you emotions to feel. How many are thankful for happiness and joy? Aren't you glad you can feel peace? How many love the peace of God? How many love being angry? And uh, how many's ever been angry? Would you be honest with the pastor today? How many's ever been angry? And uh, don't look at your spouse. You're going. Some of you say, "Put your hand up." You know he's talking to you. And uh, but the Bible says, "Be angry." There you go. There's your there's your permission right there. See, I was right. It's okay. Be angry and what? 
You know what the scripture is saying? Everybody say it with me. Be emotional. I wouldn't want to be married to a zombie. Dead. Unmoved. Nothing ever happened. There's no passion. There's no affection. There's, there's, there's just nothing that's there. They don't feel anything about anything about anything. They get stung by a bee and not move. Truth of the matter is, is God gave you the ability to feel. So when something is wrong, your kid touches the your 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 your, your kid touches the stove. Ouch! How many know little kids say, "Ha ha ha ha"? That's what Lakin did when she grabbed the pepper out of the garden, took a bite out of it. She was just tiny. She said, "Hot daddy, hot daddy, hot daddy." Yeah, hot daddy, hot daddy, hot daddy. And uh, and uh, but she she was she could feel. She was letting me know it was hot, and our kids can feel. And because we have the ability to feel, we can know that was wrong. And I'm going to tell you this, that when you are born again, God renews your conscience. You say something that's not holy, and the Holy Ghost says, huh? What are you doing? God's letting you feel. You shouldn't have said that. You shouldn't have watched that. How many ever turned on something media-wise or had a conversation with somebody? You got real uncomfortable. Why? Before you could do it, but God had renewed your conscience, the power of feeling. And when you are when you are dealing with when you are dealing with growth, you're going to find that areas that in your life that are causing you not to grow are going to start flaring up. You're going to find that this is what's holding you back. And it's when your spouse says, "I don't like it when you say that. I don't like it when you do that. It makes me uncomfortable." When, when, when in this, in, in your decisions that you're doing, I, I don't like it when you come out late. I, I don't, I don't like it when I don't know where you are. And, and you can either get mad and say, "Well, you ought to just trust me," or listen, say, "If I hear you right, what you're telling me is you don't like this about our relationship." And if we're not careful, that we can feel like we have arrived. Can I tell you, the day that you feel like you don't need any correction, any instruction, is the day that you start dying. I don't need a pastor. I've had people come to the church. They come here and their lives are going great until there's conflict. And they say, I've had them say, I don't need anybody telling me what to do. What they're saying is, I don't need God. I don't need a pastor. I don't need any authority. I don't need a spouse. I don't need because I promise you, you get married, you, you just married somebody that's going to tell you what to do. How I many know it's true? Yep, yep, it's a fact. You can't go to work and not have somebody telling you what to do. You don't want to be an island to yourself. How are you going to grow? You're going to grow by realizing that there's areas in your life that must change. I mean, no confidence understands I'm growing, which means I have to make changes in my life. If you correct somebody that's insecure, guess what they're going to do? They're going to feel attacked. I can't believe. How dare you? Because that's insecurity. If you correct somebody that's confident, they're going to feel instructed. Not that they won't get upset. I don't, I don't like to be corrected. Anybody normal? Oh, I just love it. I just love when people tell me how wrong I am. Pastor, it's a, I, I look forward to correction. Please correct me, Pastor, because I love people to tell me how wrong I am. You lie and you're dying. And, uh, and so, so sometimes, sometimes what happens is, is when you go to correct somebody that needs corrected, and they stop coming to church, they... They, 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 they go on a drive and leave and don't come back for three days. You think the spouse is going to say something to them the next time? Hmm? I want to grow, Pastor, but you can't be corrected. You can't be instructed. 
The Bible says, for the word of God is quick and it's powerful and it's sharp. I mean, the word of God is not just to make us feel good. On my lands, if there's no preaching that conflicts us, my, my dad said, when you go preaching, he said, you should afflict the comforted and comfort the afflicted when you're preaching. There's a lot of truth in that. We can be comfortable about doing wrong things. You know, am I right or wrong? And when you have to be committed to growth, and if you will look on this, um, uh, on page 13, conflict resolution, let's look here. Everybody say conflict resolution. How many of you ever been, been sure enough mad? And you knew, if we keep talking about it, it's, it's increasing. You talking about the increase, there shall be no end. And uh, you don't leave it alone. And uh, you know they're getting madder, but you, you're selfish, and so you have to deal with it right now. What's on your mind? I'd rather not talk about it. Well, we need to talk about it. You ever look at your wife and say, what's wrong? She says, nothing. And it bothers you because, you, you know what you do in that moment? You say, well, when you're ready to talk about it, let's talk about it. One of the major issues of conflict resolution is we deal with things when we're angry. And no, no one makes sense when they're mad. Now, how many has ever said some things you regret when you're mad? How many has ever told them, say, I'm sorry, but I was just mad? Thoughts unspoken fall down dead that you can't fix them once they're said. And when you're mad, it's in, in our generation, I'm going to tell you, it's out of hand in our generation because we have diagnosed everybody. And uh, we, everybody has something. And uh, so now they've got permission to be mean to you because the doctor said. That's truth. I've seen it. I've got permission now. And truth of the matter is, is be angry and sin not. At some point, we've got to lean on the power of the Holy Ghost to tame our tongue. Can you say Amen. Don't leave me up here by myself in this generation. And the Bible says a man that offends not in word, James 3, says the same as a perfect man. But a horse can be, whole body can be turned by the bridling of the mouth. An entire ship can be turned by just a small helm. And so the tongue is a world of iniquity. It's filled with deadly poison. How many know wars are caused over just something that the tongue says? And there's a lot of wars in the home over something that the mouth has spoken. Can I say to you, you've got to understand it is... It is perfectly okay and normal to be angry because God is angry and we, God gets angry. We are made in his image. He gets jealous. I mean, no, he gets jealous. I mean, no, he's joyful. The Bible says Jesus rejoiced that their names were written in the Lamb's Book of Life. That word rejoice means Jesus jumped up and down and spun in circles thinking about you being in heaven with him. He gets excited. I mean, no, we get excited. It's okay to clap your hands and shout hallelujah. Amen. It's all right to be emotional in church. It's all right to be emotional in your marriage. It's okay to say, I'm so proud of you. I want you to know I love you. I'm so thankful for you. And it's okay to be angry over something they did. But what's not okay is to respond to anger because you're, you're drunk when you're angry. Those chemicals released over the frontal lobe of your brain where your conscience is will cause you to say things you would never say on a normal day and have me know it's true. And so when you're dealing with conflict or an unresolved issue, you know what you do, number one? You set a time and place for discussion. What you're saying is, now listen, you're so mad. Get that 10 steps out. Pastor just taught about, we're going to talk about this. Number one. That's not how you do it. That's cheesy. 
But what you do is say, hold on a second. We don't have to talk about it now because we're too upset. Anybody relate? And uh, um, you take a time where you're both calm, you're both level-headed, and at the end of the day, everybody say there's nothing too big to separate us. We're not going to let this divide us. We're going to we're set and talk about it. We're going to find the problem. We're going to be specific. We're not, we're not going to pull the sausage links of everything that's been wrong in the last several years. Every argument linked together. How many know when you get mad and you don't resolve conflict, every time you get mad, they all come out? Boom, 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 boom. And uh, you list the ways. Number three, you list the ways you each contribute to the problem. Number four, well, I, I, I don't do anything wrong. I'm just going to tell you, it's all you. This is going to work out real good. Uh, number four, list past attempts. What are you doing? You're trying to find solutions to the problem. And this could be areas that you're talking about. What are you doing? You are, you, you're, you are being intentional about resolving conflict. I can't say my wife and I get the paper out and resolve conflict, but you try to say this is an ongoing issue. Let's sit and talk about it. This is just a template on what will help you. I have, I have pastors, people that have been married decades. Issues on the first year, still issues on the tenth year. Why? Committed, but not willing to change. You've got to be committed to change. Well, it's just how my family did it. My family's always right. No, they're not. They're not. You're wrong, and they were. Because you have to leave, Adam. You have to leave, Eve. The Bible says you leave your father and your mother, and you cleave to one another, so that two shall become what? Everybody say one flesh. Amen. Uh, I will pick up here. Let's stand. You can read this. I'm going to let you take this as a resource. You don't know. You can take this with you. But I want you today to, to make a covenant with God. We love each other. Yeah. But love is a commitment. I'm going to be the best I can be to you. And uh, love is a vow that says for better or what? Yeah, I can't tell you how many times I thought about showing up at a divorce court. And they go. Because they said for better or worse. And say, Judge, hold on one second. I got something I want to say. I was in the room when they said for better or worse. They cannot get divorced. I was there and they made a vow to God. And, and request the guest book. And call everybody on the guest book and say, meet me at the courthouse. Because they made a vow to us, to God in front of us, that they said they're going to work it out. Well, one time, I'd like to do it one time. And video it, amen. But show up and say, you can't. You made a vow to God. And so we live in a day where, where, where marriage is attacked. And how many know marriages and families are attacked? And uh, what I'm saying is that you've got to be committed to change and not just stay your way, stay yourself. And if you can't resolve it, you know what you do? You call, you call a counselor, call your pastor and say, we need to talk. I need help. The Bible says where there's no counsel. Everybody say, where there's no counsel. People fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there's safety. Lift your hands. Say, God, I'm going to do whatever it takes to grow my marriage, to grow our family, to grow individually, to grow if we're believing in this. God, and being willing to grow, I've got to be willing to change.
and being willing to change. I've got to embrace conflict and emotions and insecurities. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Thanks again for listening to the Anchor Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Zanesville area, we invite you to join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at theanchor.church. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.